Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit us at unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. Okay, I just think, you know, we pray over our messages and our message series, and we really pray way out, like, uh, like so all of 2020 is already like mapped out. We have messages in 2021, and, you know, we just leave it open for the Lord to do whatever he wants, but we just labor over, Lord, what do you want to say uh, to your people, and how do you want to feed them? And so then after we all start going, you know, and the year starts going, some, sometimes you feel like, you know, you're more in tune with what the Lord really wanted to do than others. And this last year, and especially this last fall, from the Blessed Life to the Fear series to um, this series called In His Presence, it's just, I mean, just seeing the Lord line these things up so amazingly is... Uh, it's really incredible to me. And I think looking at how we encounter God's presence through facing fear and releasing shame in our life is so powerful. And I hope you're as impacted as I've been, as I've been studying and looking into um, just my life, encountering God's presence and, and experiencing him. And I just hope that you're as blessed as I am. There's something shifted in me as we were, you know, just prepping for this series. And it really was because of this thinking about our life without shame or toxic shame and how and who we bring to the Lord and how we experience God's presence. How are we trying to experience God's presence? Which you are you bringing to his presence? And in what way are you doing that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, today we just need you. That's really what we need is we need you. We need your presence. We need an encounter with your Holy Spirit. We want to be revived in our spirit, made alive in our spirit, man, and just strengthened by your great love and by your presence. So we show up today, Holy Spirit. Will you just, just bring revelation and alignment to who we think we are versus who we actually are in you. So God, shift us today. Pour out your blessing. And God, I pray that we would move in such great power together in your presence from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so one of the things that we're, that, that we're just going to stay in before we move into more of the experiential side of God's presence, because when we start talking about his presence, it's so experiential uh, that there's a lot about that that's just about how we encounter him and what he does when that happens. I want to stay more on the theological side of laying this, this bedrock so that we can really move into an encounter with God in a healthy way. And, and actually not get discouraged in that. Some people, when, when we have wrong theology, it's actually a belief that leads us to behaviors or expectations of God. But if we believe wrong things about God and expect things from him that he would never do because it wouldn't be good for us or it's not part of his nature, we get disappointed. And we don't want to be disappointed in his presence. Disappointment is not part of his presence package, by the way. All right? But the reality is, is when our theology is a little bit whacked out, we can, we can, get, we can get off track. So let's just, I have my fancy pointer. It's back. Um, I want us to be thinking just a little bit about this. And we're going to go into Genesis. We're going to start in the garden. And we're going to sort of unravel some things and lay some groundwork. 
But when we think about encountering God's presence, we have to know what part of us is, does his presence dwell in. And there's this place in our life that, that the Bible tells us is our spirit man. And that spirit man is the part of us that gets revived and regenerated, made new by uh, the, the wonderful and powerful work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, his blood poured out on us and it regenerated us. And so this middle box is our inner spirit man, this white box. And so if you look here, it's we're dead in sin. All right, dead in our sin before we have Jesus. When he saves us, he makes us alive in Christ, made righteous and holy. So the spirit man, you, is saved by Jesus, fears God, and has been, been established, the value has been established by what Jesus did. But that's the part of us that the Holy Spirit comes to reside in when we get saved. His presence has a home, and it's you. You, the Bible says, we'll read it later, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's this part of you. This outer part of you is your old man, your flesh, or your, your old nature. It has all these needs and desires. Its number one need is to feel approval and acceptance. It wants to feel like someone approves of me. And when it looks for approval outside of the presence, then it experiences toxic shame. I don't measure up, I'm not good enough. But also, this outer part of us, which is engaged with our mind, will, and emotions, okay? Our mind, will, and emotions is a part of our spirit man and our outer man, okay? And this mind, will, emotion space is kind of driving the bus. Gets to choose where we seek approval. And if we seek approval outside, we go nuts. If we seek approval inside, we start to find validation. If we see God right. Because it's also possible that this outer person looking for value and looking also thinking and, and believing that this outer person could in some way establish his or her own value to earn God's presence to be deserving of God's presence, then all of a sudden we can experience all kinds of shame or toxic shame and unhealthy feelings as we try to engage with the living God. And I promise that's not what his plan is for us. So let's dive in to uh, Genesis chapter three, verse six. Here we find uh, Adam and Eve falling off the bus. This is their, their great mistake. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt what? Shame. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. Look at what they tried to do. They tried to cover their own shame. They sewed their own material, their own stuff, to try to cover their shame. Before this moment, they never felt that. See, when, when they choose and they eat of the knowledge of, of good and evil, sin enters their life. And all of a the sudden, they feel what the presence of God feels like in sin. And, and that's why they feel shame. 
I don't belong here. Something is wrong. I'm all of a sudden exposed, and I need to do something about it. Anybody have a naked dream? Where you feel exposed, right? I gotta do something about this right now. I gotta cover up, run and hide. And so this is what we find Adam and Eve trying to do. Make up for their lack, their shame. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. As God's presence began to move closer, what'd they do? Run and hide. They go run and hide and try to like get away and find some place they can just cover up or hide from God's presence because of their shame. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you were walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? <laughs> the Lord, sorry, I have like 13 jokes going on in my head. Uh, the Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Yikes. All of a sudden we have this great loss this falling from his presence. This awareness that they just don't have what it takes or they do not measure up. Verse 21, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. Man decides, chooses, and has the free will choice to choose right and wrong, and, and, and Adam and Eve choose it. So they choose to eat of the knowledge of good and evil. I believe that mankind needed this choice. And we needed to understand what evil really was. And the only way that love could be made perfect and permanent is that, we, is that, that free will has to drive love. Love only matters when it's chosen. It's only real when we choose it. And so for them to choose to fall away or move out of God's presence or to disobey God and experience something outside of him, that choice tested love. And it showed that God was like willing to allow his people to suffer so that he could have love permanent. And so what happens is they choose this this, to eat from this tree and they, they gain this knowledge of good and evil and they fall off the wagon and they try to cover it themselves but covering yourself never makes it better. You and I have no way of making up for our sin or atoning for our sin but we see God do for his people right away. He does two really amazing things. The first thing is that he sacrifices an animal and makes skins for them. This is the first animal sacrifice and he makes a covering for them. So God actually covers their shame himself through sacrifice, foretelling how he's gonna permanently cover their shame with the blood of Jesus, his own sacrifice. And then he does something else is he moves them out away from his presence where they could choose to eat of the tree of life, and then be trapped in their sin forever. So God's mercy moves them away from eternal life in their natural bodies. 
And we, we, sometimes we look at death as like, as not a gift. Look, death in these bodies is a gift. These things are not all they're cracked up to be. Like a lot of people say, again, old's not for sissies, right? <laughs> Stuff is all breaking down. You're not made for that temple and that body that has all this flesh and earthly desires. You're made for a glorified body that's perfect and in alignment with the truth and with, the, with righteousness and holiness. God has another body for you waiting. And your holy self, righteous self, will go meet up with that body that is made perfect. And it'll all be because you chose sin and then you chose redemption. You chose the blood of Jesus. And it'll all be because of his sacrifice and his work of actually saving you. This is the beauty of God's love relationship. But I want you to see here in the garden that God never wanted his people out of his presence. He wasn't mad at them, not even one time. He knew what was all gonna happen. And he covered, he made a sacrifice to cover them in their shame. He did not expose it. So many times we feel like God's presence is going to expose our shame. Never, never, never. God will never expose your shame in his presence. He's going to help you. He's going to help you in your shame in his presence. He made a permanent sacrifice to help you in that space. So I want you to think about this. And don't flip out. Okay? Who is worthy to be in God's presence. Who is worthy to be in his presence? Only those who are worthy can be in his presence. But if you and I think that somehow our outer person here is going to be able to earn this, we're going to run, 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 run as hard as we can. And we're going to get so tired and exhausted and disappointed. And we will never, ever experience the power of God. His presence isn't something to be purchased by you and I. You don't get to buy it. Simon the sorcerer tried to buy God's presence, the Holy Spirit, and he got in trouble. We're going to talk about it in the series. It's, it, it is not something that you can commercialize or, or you can trade for. Jesus paid the price for your salvation. He bought it because you were worth it. Jesus is worthy. This is the key to understanding this. Jesus himself is worthy. And what does he make you when he saves you? He makes you righteous. He makes you worthy. He makes you holy. You and yourself could never earn or be worthy, but he is. And he puts his value and he casts his worth on what is important to him. And he says, it's you. He says, it's me. Look at this amazing story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want a share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. I think he moved to uh, 
Nevada or Hollywood or something, right? Okay. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded uh, a local farmer to hire him, and the man set him in, uh, sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Self, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger? I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven, or heaven and you, and I am no longer, look, worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He thinks that he has the ability to establish his own worth. So he returns home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. He says that directly to the father. The father says in verse 22, shut up. You don't know nothing. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring off for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. He doesn't even address the son's ridiculous statement about him. Because he says, I'm no longer worthy of being your son. The son says to the father, the kid says to the dad, I'm not worthy. I'm telling you that you are no, no longer in charge of setting worth. You and I don't get to set the worth or the worthiness. That is set by God and him alone. And the father won't even listen to that garbage. He won't even listen to it. He just got a, he's got an anti-you-don't-know-who-I-am filter. It just filters all that junk right out. And he goes, well, you don't know. I'm going to show you how worth it you are to me by not even listening to that stupid stuff you're talking about. Verse 28, then the older son was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? His name was Henry, right? His father said to him, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Look at that. Everything I have is yours. He missed it. 
We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and now has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And when, oh wait, that was it. I got to start and read another scripture. And that's it. Look at this. Both sons struggling with the exact same problem. Two kids with two totally different responses from the same problem. They both thought that they, through their outer person, through their own strength, could establish their worthiness, their worthitness to their father. One, through, he, he thought that he was no longer worthy because on his, all of his actions, he just wasted everything God, that, that the father had given him. But guess what? The other one, through his self-righteousness and piety, he thought by behaving so good that he would earn something and he actually never even engaged the Father's gift. His presence, he said, everything I have is yours and you've never touched it. Both of them wasted all of it from the same problem thinking that they're the ones that had the ability to affect their worthiness. That's what it means to be worthy, by the way. You're worth it. Ness. Because no one is worthy but Jesus. And Jesus makes us worthy. He says, you're worthy of my sacrifice. Say, what? You were worth it. I see the worthitness in you. And I'm going to make you righteous so we can be in relationship. Not by anything you could ever, have do, ever do or ever have done, but only by what I could have done. But then we're going to be in relationship. You just need to be in my presence. The key is to let him do his work and love you as big as he wants and engage in his presence. But both of these sons... Miss the boat. And so many times, a lot of us grow up in church folk, spend a lot of time ending up on the side of the street like the son who thinks he was better than the other kid. When honestly, he'd missed everything that that kid had missed too. Just get it right, do it right, be right, be better, just do better, all this stuff. But then all of that time, we miss his presence. We miss his presence, we miss his love, we don't produce fruit in the kingdom. We miss all the joy. That kid's grinding. That son stayed home in the midst of his father's amazing blessing and all this favor and blessing. And he was just sour and he was missing all of the joy and all of the peace. And all of the fun that he could have been having if he would have rested in God's presence instead. A shame-driven you is not the you that God wants. That's not the you he wants. It's not the you he desires. And here's one of the things that I want us to get, and we're going to just kind of go through a little a few, uh, just a little process here to see what type of you are you bringing. See, this outer person is just not really comfortable bringing himself, herself 
to God's presence. And what we do is we do some weird stuff sometimes when we're not comfortable bringing our broken self, our actual self, to God. So here's a picture of the, uh, the prodigal son. This is you and I in our little pig slop mess, right? This is us when we decide, hey, I'm going to do it all on my own, God's way. I know his way is dumb. I'm just going to do it my own way and do whatever I want. I'm going to haul off and I'm just going to go take all of the resources that I've ever gotten. I'm just going to wild living, do it on my own. This is how I grew up, okay? I had no concept of God, actually. But that's basically what I did is I took everything I had and just... And then God comes and crashes in my life. So there we have different responses to how we can see God. If I see God like an angry God, then in my, in my own toxic shame, my outer person, well, all that pig slop stuff, I'm going to be like that kid who was out in that pig farm thinking about his dad in a wrong way. You know what, my dad, I'm not even worthy. He will not take me back as a son. But maybe I could come back and just be a servant because at least his servant world, they're not starving. God would never take you back as a servant. He will only take you as a son. He didn't make you to be a servant. He made you to be a son. To be a kid, a child of the king, a daughter of the king. But when we see him this way as he's going to punish us, then we start to run and hide. We duck and cover. We get the leaves on and we go hide behind the tree when his presence shows up. Our outer person, if we look at the pig slop guy again, when we're in this mode and we see God right, see, when we see this story in the prodigal son, we start to see God for who he really is. He has no care about all the feces on the outside of your body. He doesn't care about that. You could walk through the streets of San Francisco and get all that goodness all over you, right? You guys are paying attention to news. They're having a feces on the outside, sidewalks problem. You can get arrested for eating a sandwich outside, but you can no longer get arrested for using the restroom on the sidewalk in San Francisco, if you want to know. You are all covered with gross stuff on the outside. God the Father, he runs at you like this. He looks at you that way. No matter what you've done, he's got these eyes of love and passion for you. And he's running to you because just the way you are, cleaning nothing up and doing nothing on your outside, he knows what the power of his righteousness and his love can do on the inside of you. He's not worried about it. It can't get on him. And he knows that him cleaning all that stuff up off of your life and transforming you is what is going to make his love permanent in your life. So he runs, runs, runs to you. The problem is, is when, one, we're either too uncomfortable with our kind of broken, nasty selves. When we think we're like this, and we don't want to come, then we don't just run to the Father, 
one of the things we'll do is we'll create this type of person, a Tom Brady. Now that might look like Tom Brady, but that's not the real Tom Brady. That's a false Tom Brady. That is actually from the Wax Museum. So that is the Wax Tom Brady. And all of us have a superhero hero version of ourself. Mine looks a little more like Russell Wilson. Yours might look like Tom Brady. Somebody else's might look like Joe Montana, like my father-in-law's. So this person doesn't actually feel anything. He's made of wax. And this is the thing you have to get. God only fellowships with the things he makes. He doesn't fellowship with the stuff you make. This outer person isn't comfortable bringing himself, herself to the presence of God. So instead, we create the wax version of ourself that's the superhero version of ourself that measures up in all the ways that we think we ought. And then we, we use this through our survival gear, by the way, and we create all of this person, and then we try to engage that person with other people. We tell them, everybody, all about that person. We never share the brokenness or the reality of who we really are in here. We just share this person. Because that person doesn't have feelings. And it's easier. But just as, this is it. This is such a huge key. What person are you bringing to the presence of God? If you try to bring wax Tom Brady to the presence of God, you're not going to experience anything. God will not fellowship with that person you made that you think is better because you look like this and you're not comfortable bringing that, so you create this other guy. You go back to Tom Brady. and So you create him to bring him. Oh, he looks way better. God's going to like him better. Nuh-uh. God likes this guy, that's who he wants. Because that's who he made. You and I have to get used to bringing this person to him. So many times, and being a pastor for, you know, basically 20 years now, and helping people encounter the presence of God, it's one of the things we all desire. I just want to feel his presence. One, trying to just feel his presence is not the goal. Being made right is the goal. Being, allowing him in your life is the goal. And then, Lord, what do you want to do through me? Finding strength in him. We're going to talk about all of the benefits of his presence. How do we increase his presence, engage his presence in our life? But the thing is, is you cannot earn it. It is a relationship. He bought you. We're going to read this passage, the passages today, and then it's going to help seal this in for you. But you and I have to get used to bringing our real self to him. Because that's where we're going to actually experience the power, the transforming power, the redemptive power of his presence. And we will experience his great love. See, we engage our shame into his presence. It makes us feel grateful. We experience humility. And we experience Real, genuine, authentic, unconditional love. His love is then made perfect because we don't fear punishment. We experience his presence and we experience his love. So church, maybe today we could let go 
of our wax versions of ourselves, our superhero versions of ourselves that are just there to protect us. I've had one all the time. My little outside guy is trying to build another one. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to melt that thing. <laughs> I'm going to melt it with a flame torch all the time. I don't want to build a wax me. I want to take the real me that I'm afraid, yes, to bring to God. But every time I do, he, I experience the power of his great love. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Now, he has reconciled you to himself. Who reconciled you? He reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. This is amazing. God puts you in front of himself without a single fault as you're that pig slop kid and he just heals you and sets you free and it has nothing to do with your sin. It has everything to do with his love and his power and his redemption. Him reconciling or making you right. Ephesians 12, or 3, verse 12. Since there is no Ephesians 12, we'll just use verse 3, chapter 3, verse 12, right? Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. What a great, great gift. See, you know that your shame is still driving the bus when you don't come and can't come confidently and boldly into his presence. This is not, I'm not, I'm not shaming anyone right now. Don't let that happen. This is take the pulse of your life. If you're experiencing shame in your, in your engagement, like toxic shame in your engagement to the Lord, you're like, God, I just, I'm afraid you're going to punish me. I don't want to come to you. Instead, you go run and hide like Adam and Eve did, and you try to make up your own way, and you go hide from it. If you try to do those things because you're feeling that, that, that kind of toxic shame, it's because you and I, we're not seeing God right. When we see him right, we come boldly. God, exactly what I need, the remedy for my sin is your presence. It's what healed and changed me and set me free from all this in the first place. What I need is a good shot and dose of your presence to help work this stuff out of my life. It didn't cause me to be not valuable or increase my value in any way in the first place. Right now, it's just harming me and I need your presence to help me overcome it. So I'm coming in boldly because I'm not scared. Hebrews 10, 21. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Not Tom Brady wax hearts. Sorry, Tom. You're just a great example today. Not the real Tom, the fake Tom, okay? No, sincere hearts, who you really are, how you really feel, your real fears, worries, and, and insecurities, thoughts, disappointments, the worst things you've ever done, your sincere heart fully trusting him, running right into his presence for our guilty consciences, consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. 
and our bodies have been washed with pure water. You are made clean. Jesus doesn't have to wash you up again and again and again. It is finished. You give your life to Jesus once, set free once. Now it's a matter of encountering his presence and his presence working its way through your life. But that fight will never be over until you get your glorified body and you're able to shed this old person. But the solution to your life and your freedom is to continue to engage his presence over and over and over again. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives where? In you! Inside you! You are the temple and he lives in you and was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself. You have a new master. God is now your master. He's the master of your heart and your spirit man. When you give your life to him, he transforms and he sets you free. And in that space, your, your freedom is in him being God, him being Lord of your life. But this is the thing, it was given to you. His life in you, gift, not earned. Can't buy it. Jude 24. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and you and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Look at how God, he brings you into his presence with joy without a single fault. In God's presence, there's so many amazing benefits. We're gonna talk about God's benefits and, and, and the benefits of his presence. Joy is one of the greatest benefits of his presence. Again, not a single fault. And you didn't clean that up. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. The Holy Spirit is the seal. It's the sign of your worthiness. He gives it to you as a guarantee. I got you. Such a great promise. It's such a great thing that God did. He didn't just say, hey, I got you, and then, you know, good luck. Just, no, I know exactly what you need. My presence, my Holy Spirit is the guarantee. It's the seal of the deal. I'm coming to live inside you. Move over. I'm moving in. Here's me. Here's you. Okay. I'm coming in. <laughs> Sorry, that was an old Chris Farley reference. Okay. This connection, we jump right into the Holy Spirit. We let the Holy Spirit jump right into us. And he lives in us. And he begins to speak to us. We encounter his presence. We encounter his love. We encounter all of his goodness. But Psalms 26, 8 says this. 
And this is what we need to get, is I love your sanctuary. I love your sanctuary, Lord. I love the place where your glorious presence dwells. Your spirit man is craving this connection and this intimate connection with the presence of God. He's been renewed and he's like, this is my home, this is my food, the presence of God, this is my life, feed me, please. Not to be accepted or measured up, just I need food. This is gonna be good for us. I'm hungry, I'm starving for my God, my presence. He's in me. We have to learn how to stir him up and to, and, and to embrace him and encounter him and he begins to just transform, transform. It's beautiful. Will you close your eyes with me for a moment? Lord, we love you today. Jesus, you're worthy. You are so good. Thank you, thank you God, that you love us so much and that you care about us so much that you would come and you would die for us and you would, you would pour out your love on us so, so just, just un, with, with, with no boundaries, Lord. It just goes everywhere. Thank you that your love just covers everything. So today we surrender our life to you. And Jesus, we make you Lord of our life. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, just pray this with me. Jesus, I declare you as God. Jesus, you are Lord. I need you. Save me. Rescue me. Set me free. And Lord, today I'm just asking, I just want to encourage you to pray this. Lord, I'm asking you to just fill me with your presence, God. Lord, I lay down my own desire to clean myself up, to make myself right. God, I just get rid of the wax me, the made up me that you didn't make. I, I just abandon that person right now and I leave him on the side of the road. I leave her on the side of the road. I don't need that person to protect me anymore because Jesus, I have you, my great protector, my king, my confidant, my comforter, the lover of my soul, the lifter of my head. You are my shield and my strength and my strong tower, God. You are the defender of the weak. And in my weakness, God, you are strong. Strengthen me today with your presence. I want to experience you today. I want to know you and be made right and in alignment with you today. Jesus, move on my heart. Even in my own sin and brokenness, God, I run to you boldly. And God, I ask you, Jesus, living inside me to just awaken my spirit, man, with your presence. I love you today in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.